ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Miami University of Ohio professor Ann Whitesell is our guest right about now. Uh, let's talk about the power and peril of ballot initiatives exposing vulnerabilities in representation and championing black and other marginalized voices in a democracy under siege. Professor Whitesell, how are you today? Great. How are you? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well, and mm. I am delighted to have, to have you on this program for these thirty minutes. Uh, let me just start with uh, with a with a with a with a repeat of what I said uh, at the top of the hour, uh, commencing our program today. That I live in Los Angeles. This program is heard across the country, of course, in syndication. But I am based in Southern California, and in California, I have just had it <laughs> over the years. With all these ballot uh, initiatives and referendums, it raises a number of questions for me why we elected these uh, public officials in the first place. If they're not going to do their jobs and everything is going to be a ballot initiative, um, mm-hmm. it further troubles me, um, as I'm sure you will, you will opine on when I shut up in a moment. It further troubles me that uh, oftentimes these ballot initiatives um, disenfranchise and frankly exploit uh, poor people and people of color, uh, other other marginalized communities. And I'm also troubled by the, the way in which they, they, they engage in such trickery, uh, the way the ballot is worded, what it's called. Um, you think you're voting yes and you're actually voting no. So I'm, I'm, I, I personally am getting troubled by the way we are increasingly in this state and across the country governing by ballot initiative. Now, that's my assessment, but this conversation ain't about me. It's about your perspective. So tell me whether you and I are simpatico or I'm totally off base here. Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a lot of valid concerns. Um, I think one of them you know, is this idea of, like, we often use ballot initiatives because we're not seeing things happening within the legislature, mm-hmm. which raises the question, again, as you said, like, why do we elect these people if they're not going to pass laws? That's kind of government 101. Mm -hmm. We elect legislators to pass laws, but then we turn to ballot initiatives because we get frustrated and they're not doing anything, and so we kind of want to take uh, control in our own hands. But as you said, that is not necessarily a good thing. Um, I mean, historically, there's been political science research on this, um, that oftentimes you have kind of a tyranny of the majority when it comes to ballot initiatives. Mm. Uh, There's been historically lots of like civil rights measures that were voted down via ballot initiative, because when you're talking about you're just leaving it to citizens, often you have a majority that it was not favorable to like expanding the rights of marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of concerns that come with ballot initiatives and you know, haven't even gotten into, you know, do people understand exactly what they're voting for? That's kind of like a whole nother issue, I think, that we could talk about. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I share Let, some of your concerns. Let's talk about it right now. Why is it, um, and I'm not naive in asking this, I, I, I get it, but I want to hear your take on it. Why is it that there's such trickery uh, in, engaged or involved uh, in the language of these ballot initiatives and people end up getting tricked. Yeah, I think some of it is, um, you know, you, you want to simplify things so that people feel like they understand it enough to vote. Um, some of it is driven by interest groups um, on you know, either opposing the ballot initiative or in favor of the ballot initiative. Lots of times there's outside money. Mm-hmm. 
oftentimes even outside the state itself. So groups that don't even represent people who live in the state are putting lots of money into these ballot initiatives. Uh, And I think if people knew all of the details, they might be kind of intimidated uh, and might say, you know, maybe I don't know enough to vote on this. But if you simplify it enough, then people who can kind of have like a gut reaction to it and say like, oh, yeah, of course, I you know like this idea right, without really thinking about the consequences. To your point about outside money, this will not surprise you, obviously. Uh, and there's no you know hard and fast rule here. There's no thing. This is the point I'm about to make is not an absolute. I understand. But one of the reasons why, again, I, I am troubled by the increasing use of these ballot initiatives uh, in this state and across the country is because when it gets to the ballot initiative process, it's all about the money. Mm-hmm. Who has the who has the money to buy the most TV commercials? Who has the money to buy the most radio spots? Who has the money to put the most billboards? Who has the money to buy the advertising newspapers? I mean, who has the money to really leverage their message and trick people um, with uh, whatever it is they're trying to, uh, to trying to achieve. So it really does come down to money. Now, of course, all of our politics is about money. Somebody once said that money is the mother's milk of politics. I get that. So it's all about money. But when you get into this ballot process, the money is absolutely obscene. Uh, and, and typically, it seems to me, my research suggests that marginalized communities are on the wrong side of that of that dollar, if you will. Right. Well, and I think what you're, you know, talking about with the money is you know, a lot of it is you have to reach voters and convince them that it's worth voting on the ballot initiative mm-hmm. and convince them which way to vote. And like to be honest, you know, it's a lot of work to try to educate yourself independently on you know, what the ballot initiative is, right? You have to spend a lot of time and mental energy to figure out, you know, what the issue is and what are the pros and cons of each issue. So it's a lot easier to just default to, okay, well, what, you know, are the ads saying? Mm -hmm. And again, those are often paid for by outside money. So um, if you are not going to spend, you know, or cannot spend lots of time and energy, you really analyzing the issue. And like, I'm a PhD in political science. I don't spend <laughs> lots of time you know, analyzing the language of ballot initiatives. Yeah. Right? We don't have time for this. And so, you know, again, it's easy to default to, okay, yeah. I'm going to take the ad at face value. Yeah. My, my, my other read, again, and I'm, I'm not, this is not scientific for me. You're the, you're the professor, you're the expert here. I'm just a talk show host. But my, 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 my further read of this issue, uh, again, in this state and across the country, is that more often than not, I think it's fair to say that, and if I'm wrong, you can disabuse me of this notion, but more often than not, it seems to me at least that these ballot initiatives are oftentimes about shrinking rights, not expanding rights, about shrinking rights, not expanding rights. Here again, another way in which poor people and marginalized communities and people of color end up being disenfranchised. Yeah, I think the exception that we're seeing to that, and that's not even really an exception, you know, we've seen kind of in the last year and a half, these ballot initiatives around reproductive rights. But even in that, you see both ballot initiatives trying to restrict reproductive rights and ballot initiatives trying to expand reproductive rights. But I think you're right uh, that oftentimes they are framed in a way um, that does restrict rights or and and often I should say, like, you don't even realize when you're voting on it necessarily that it would make a policy more restrictive, sure. right? Because to 
do that, you would have to know what the current policy is. Right? So I think about like in Ohio, we voted um, on like drug policy right? and you know, what should be classified as like a misdemeanor versus a felony. Right? And so to vote on how we should change that means you have to know the current policy to know whether it will become more restrictive or you know, looser in policy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So again, it, it can be very tricky, right, if you don't know the ins and outs of the policy. When we come forward, I want to completely flip it now. Speaking of tricky, I want to get tricky and just completely flip this conversation. You've heard my argument uh, about why I am troubled uh, by the increasing use of these ballot initiatives and referendums all across the country because too often they marginalize people of color and poor people. Uh, they exploit people. They they use games to trick you into voting yes when you should be voting no. As I said a moment ago, oftentimes they're about shrinking rights rather than expanding rights. Because I'm good at playing both sides of the aisle, uh, let me do this. Now, the flip side of this argument is that the ballot initiative process, if um, if 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 uh, if treated uh, justly and fairly and used properly, uh, is really about the power of the people. So you elect people who don't do their jobs or you elect folk who do stuff. Or, you know, Barack Obama famously once said, just don't do stupid stuff, right? You elect people who do stupid stuff, then the ballot initiative process, the referendum process becomes a tool that gives power back to the people. That's the flip side of my own argument. I want to see how that lands on Professor Whitesell when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. It does indeed with a professor of political science at Miami University of Ohio and White Sale. We're talking about the power and the perils of these uh, ballot initiatives uh, as we move through this election season. Uh, increasingly, states uh, like California and beyond are relying on these measures to actually get stuff done, these referendums. And I'm, I'm frankly troubled by it, but that's just my take. Um, so I made the argument earlier about why I, I am so uh, debilitated by this process. Let me flip my own argument, Professor Whitesell, to get your read on this. So here in L.A., for example, in California, but certainly L.A., uh, we've passed measures in the in the past for things like raising money to do more on the houselessness or the homelessness issue. I think that's a good thing um, mm-hmm. that that people were compassionate enough and cared enough about the issue uh, to pay more of uh, their hard earned money to deal with this crisis here in Southern California. Uh, we talked earlier, of course, about the way this initiative process can be, uh, frankly, uh, the tyranny of the majority. But when people are compassionate enough to say, I'll willingly give more of my tax dollars if we can address this issue of homelessness that's a beautiful thing and that uh, is an example of how the people are empowered because the legislature didn't put enough money behind this particular issue so I'm I'm, 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 I'm arguing against my own my own frame um, but your thoughts about the power of this process versus the peril of this ballot initiative process Yeah, I mean, I think historically what we see with ballot initiatives is that they're typically used on issues where the legislature is not acting, where uh, public opinion has moved faster than the legislature. So, uh, I mean, recently, you know, reproductive rights is a good example of this. Mm -hmm. There are legislators who are not willing to enshrine reproductive rights, but the voters want to do that, right? And so they're taking it to the ballots. Um, We've also seen this with, like, marijuana legalization. Mm -hmm. As uh, public opinion has changed on that, right, people have pushed for that. Um, 
even though lawmakers seem to be very um, reluctant to touch that issue. So I do think it is empowering in the sense that you know, when you feel like the people you have elected to represent you are not listening to you, are not being responsive to your needs, that is a way for you to have your voice heard. Yep. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Professor Ann Whitesell, I want to ask her, um, all things considered, or put another way, on balance, uh, whether or not she thinks this ballot initiative process is serving the demos well. Are we being served well in this country across the board by uh, this process that has been increasingly used um, uh, by all kinds of folks in states from California to the Carolinas? Our remaining moments with Ann White said when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Hard talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Professor Ann Whitesell. Um, we have talked uh, in the time that we've had about the good, the bad, and the ugly of this ballot initiative process that uh, we use in states all across the country. I guess the question is whether on balance you think we are benefited by this process. Mm-hmm. I think you have to take it uh in context with everything else that's happening in politics, in particular with uh, gerrymandering, I think. Um, so I think about, I live in Ohio. You know, Ohio is like hopelessly gerrymandered. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state is probably you know, 55, 45 uh, Republican uh, when you look at the voters, but the state legislature is about 75 Republican and 25% Democrat. Uh, and so there's like nothing happening in the state legislature that's good uh, for Democrats. Uh, But you do see through ballot initiatives that there are even more moderate things happening, maybe not progressive policies that are passing, but definitely more moderate policies. I mean, we saw uh, in Ohio in November um, that the voters uh, protected reproductive rights which never would have passed in the legislature. So I think given that context, right, the ballot initiative gives hope to people in states where they feel like they have no voice. I do feel like there's a lot of pitfalls with it. Mm -hmm. There is obviously a lot of information that people need to have when they're voting, and there's a lot of manipulation that can have. But... uh, Given kind of the the inactivity that we often see through legislators, um, the ballot initiative does provide a voice for people. Yep. Uh, My extra question here, are are there ways in which you think that people of color, those who are uh, marginalized, you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. can take better advantage themselves of this process? Put another way, does it always have to be the tyranny of the majority? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think one of the most powerful things is uh, coalition building. Um, whether that's, you know, to get things on the ballot, um, so building coalitions to get you know, certain policies that you want to see on the ballot, on the ballot, um, or building coalitions um, to you know, get people to vote one way or the other. There's, it's very powerful to build power locally. Uh, and so I think you know, a lot of work can be done within communities to kind of combat the influence of outside money, um, just starting small within your communities and informing people um, in churches or community groups, um, and that can actually really help um, kind of 
you know, dissuade uh, people from voting based on what they see just based on ads. Yep. Finally here, um, this is a big question about how you can handle it. Uh, you mentioned money in our politics, and we discussed that all the time around here in a variety of ways. As I said earlier in this conversation, uh, Jess Unruh once said uh, that uh, mother, money uh, money is the mother's milk of politics. I think he was right about that. Um, given how fractured we already are politically and given that we know who the two presumptive nominees are going to be, um, I'm wondering, and this may be counterintuitive, I'm wondering whether or not money is going to play a big, as big a role this time around at the presidential level as it typically has, given that we know who these combatants are. I'm not sure that any amount of money changes anybody's mind about either of these guys. So to what extent, again, it may be counterintuitive to, to suggest this, but to what extent do you think money is going to have the uh, the power that it typically has in presidential races? Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good point. If you haven't made up your mind yet about you know, <laughs> what you think about Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump, yeah, then I don't yeah. know how much money it would take. Yeah. Um, but I think the the place that money matters is convincing people uh, to turn out for like down ballot elections, yeah, right? So maybe you. you know your house representative or some other ballot uh, might be you know, more compelling based on you know, the amount of money in that election. No, nope, we shall see. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting year, uh, and yeah. we are we are bracing ourselves, bracing uh, bracing ourselves for effects, strapping ourselves in. It's going to be one of those years. <laughs> uh, she is Ann Whitesell, professor of political science at Miami University of Ohio, a scholar, as you can tell, in American politics. Professor Whitesell, good to have you on. All the best to you. Thanks. Just getting started on this first day of Black History Month. That's hour one. Two more great hours to go. You're listening, and I'm glad about it, to Tavis Smiley.